Hello to our listeners around the world. This is Gary from the Bureau of History. Since this is the winter break season, uh, we decided to try something different for January and maybe February. All our members uh, researched different topics of their choice and individually made a recording informing you about the events shaping our world around the globe. Uh, So please do enjoy. Welcome to the Bureau of History, and my name is Chris, and today I'll talk about the spurt of gang violence in Ecuador. So, there was a recent spurt of gang violence taking prison guards, police forces, and even media outlets as hostages in the South American nation of Ecuador. So, let me tell you about the background current events real quick, then tell about the nation's history regarding the policy measures implemented to prevent this and the region's general history on why there are social issues regarding gang violence and corruption being so predominant in this region. With the leader of one of the most prominent gangs in the country, Ose Ardolfo Macias, or Vito, yeah, disappearing from jail. Right after his escape, gangs started rampaging across the country from the 1st of September, 2023. I wonder how I got through 2023 without dying, but anyways, bombing and shooting up many locations as such a bridge in a coastal province as it was blown up by gang terrorism. They took hostages in prisons as elections were closing in. Prior to this, a presidential candidate, Fernando Villavicencio was assassinated, mentioning death threats from Vito prior to his death as his policies included crackdown measures on gangs. Coming back to the present, Vito, Vito escaped the regional jail just before he was set to tra- be transferred to a maximum security prison on January 7th. With a string of riots in prisons the next day, the president, Daniel Noboa, declared a state of emergency or a state of internal armed conflict, with curfews and militia now present as crackdown measures. On January 9th, gangs raided a local TV station, and its neighboring nation of Peru declared a state of emergency along its northern border with Ecuador. As this was a very recent event, the timeline is quite short. Anyways, Ecuador and other South American countries have issues with gang violence due to financial turmoils, and various social reasons. Ecuador, famous for its tough and maybe unethical prison systems, has so many fatal incidents of gang violence prior. If you search Ecuador prisons on Google, and images of like, what, 300 people piled up in a cubic meter appears on the ground, yeah, being on the ground, without like any clothing pop up. The gangs in Ecuador can be considered as systemic corruption with the most powerful gangs such as the previously mentioned Adolfo Macias, Los Coneros have influence in politics and especially hold power in the nation's infamous prison system with their advanced organization tactics such as creations of multiple subgroups and stirring up rivalries between them to maintain control. Stirring up rivalries between subgroups 
would be very important as to maintain a certain strength of the main subgroup is very important to assert dominance on the other smaller and maybe even growing subgroups. So like cutting like the initiation points for rebellion, I guess. The lack of Riyadh within the state's prison and justice system have a big part to play as well. Being labeled a chronic situation by the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights in 1997 with overcrowding, lack of ventilation, and non-existent facilities within the prison venues. The Human Rights Watch has observed poor health conditions that have worsened ever since the pandemic. Yeah, not an old pandemic, the COVID pandemic. And rehab programs are pretty much non-existent now. I mean, it was non-existent before the pandemic and before the other pandemics, but still, yeah, it's even less existent now. Yeah, what has the government of Ecuador done to, to go against this and to combat against this? The government has once actually made a shocking decision in 2007 to legalize gang organizations. Gotta go make that bank. And for some reason, some god knows why reason, this has actually dragged down the murder rates by quite a bit. And with the policy's intentions to raise stigmas against like gangs and gangs to reorient their purposes. And if they do so, being eligible to receive government funds and grants. But however, typical South American cartel political collaboration, corruption emerges once again. And now, with good policy gonna waste, but actually quite incompetent. Anyways, gonna waste as corrupt politicians with funds instead of the government, but the drop money from the gangs made the actual implementation of a good policy difficult, causing regional disparities of policy distribution. Yeah, this is a site that could be seen in a typical corrupt place. Typical cartel corruption is present in the judicial system too, with a code on the judicial function, sorry for my pronunciation, function that allows judges to be removed from their positions under circumstance, certain circumstances, which exposes judges to political and criminal pressure and therefore undermining the judicial independence, only worsening the corruption crisis or the corruption cycle of the cartel crimes in Ecuador. Yeah, this is not only present in Ecuador. The corruption is not only in Ecuador, but in most, perhaps, of the South American countries. A stark problem in the region is definitely corruption, with the most nations scoring under 40 out of 100, and most nations scoring around, what, 30s out of 100, and some even, like, 2019 in the Transparency International's 2022 Corruption Perceptions Index. The history of South American corruption goes back all the way to the Cold War with the arms race of Argentina, Brazil, and Chile. But anyways, by the late 1970s, leftists and communists have gained significant influence in the region, causing coups and of the upper class afraid of losing their power. With American support, yeah, they got the taste of freedom prior. In the 1970s, they have already gotten a taste of some freedom. These militia regimes eradicated the leftists and communists in Operation Condor. After this wild era, the democratization of South America came through in the 80s. Nonetheless, 
Corruption was still widespread among these democratic regimes. With the 1980s, Latin America debt crisis, the Mexican peso crisis, peso crisis of 1994, and Argentina's 2001 default, and these financial turmoils made the nations even more vulnerable to corruption. Corresponding era, in the 90s, there was a wave named the Pink Tide, and until the early 2000s, in these nations, leftist parties rose to political power, and some of them. I think actually most of them being populists, namely Hugo Chavez of Venezuela. I think this is the guy behind what like the hundred thousand percent inflation. But anyways, that is safe for another date. This is a really long topic, so we'll use it for later. Yeah, he's the guy who is mostly responsible for putting Venezuela under the gutter with economic depressions. And anyways, this was a brief history of South American politics. Very brief.、Uh, I want to actually reach search about this deeper in a later date. But anyways, to summarize this, these disturbances have caused social unrest, economic unrest, and these are the typical reasons for corruption worldwide. Not just South America, not just Ecuador, worldwide. And I hope that corruption can be eradicated pretty soon. So I wish that corruption becomes to a minimum, and I hope that the violence of Ecuador would be ceased, and violence everywhere in the world to be ceased, because it's pointless. You're all humans anyway. You're just weak and weak. So to finish this episode off, this was the burial of history. I'm Chris Shang, and see you in another day. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, Chris, for that enthusiastic lesson. On current Ecuadorian crisis, and now we would like to briefly turn to Leah to her short briefing on the current Houthi crisis, which is actually having a great toll on the global economy. Now onto the recent Red Sea attacks and its threats on global shipping. The Red Sea attacks began in November last year during the 2023 Israel-Hamas war, and the Houthi movement in Yemen, aligned with Hamas, launched attacks targeting Israel. On the 19th of November, the Houthis hijacked a ship in the Red Sea and since continued to attack many other ships using drones, missiles, and speedboats. The Houthis say that their strikes are directed at boats with Israeli interests, and that the attacks will continue until Israel ends its war in Gaza. The spokesperson of the Houthi military announced that any ship destined for Israel was a legitimate target, and that they will not stop the attacks until the Gaza Strip is supplied with food and medicine. However, the more recent attacks have been described as indiscriminate. In retaliation, the U.S. Allied with other countries as well, have carried out airstrikes against Houthi rebel targets in Yemen. In a response to this, the leader of the Houthis vowed American attack on its forces would not go without response. But merely hours after this, the U.S. and U.K. conducted airstrikes over a dozen Houthi targets in Yemen. If you couldn't tell already, things are not looking like they'll end soon. By now, I'm guessing you're wondering who the Houthis are. The Houthis, officially known as Ansar Allah or supporters of God, are a militia group named after their founder Hussein Bad Adin Al Houthi, based in Yemen. 
The group is not internationally recognized as the government of Yemen, but it does control large parts of the country. This includes the Bab el-Mandeb Strait, a crucial maritime choke point that connects the Red Sea with the Gulf of Aden. The Bab el-Mandeb Strait is a 20-mile-wide channel that separates Africa from the Arabian Peninsula, and about 17,000 ships and 10% of global trade pass there every year. Any ship passing through the Suez Canal, heading on south to the Indian Ocean, has surpassed the Strait, which is probably why the Houthis chose to attack close to this location. This is problematic because the recent attacks have significantly disrupted shipping operations. Some shipping companies that have faced threats to their ships have chosen to reroute their ships, taking the way longer way, choosing to go around Africa instead of passing through the Bab el-Mandeb Strait. The ripple effects of the Red Sea attacks are reaching consumers globally. The increased cost of shipping, driven by the need to reroute, and the heightened insurance rates are likely to translate into a higher price for various goods. The only event in recent years to have a bigger impact on the supply chain was when the cargo ship Ever Given got stuck in the Suez Canal in 2021.